delight to be together in church and be part of the church family. Uh, I have had the privilege of being part of church my, my whole life. Uh, from the time that I was a baby, my parents brought me to church, and I've been a part of three churches that I called home, that were my home churches. Arlington Evangelical Free Church, uh, Arlington Heights Evangelical Free Church was the first church, and then Village Church of Barrington, and now the Bridge Church. And um, in a season when uh, church is being looked at, again, by people coming out of COVID. Is this worth it? Should I go? Should I invest in this? Uh, part of the questions that are being asked is, what's the benefit for me? What do I get out of this? Why, you know, is this going to make my family better? Is this going to make my children safer? Is this going, what, what do I get out of being involved in church? And why should we be engaged in church? Uh, we have been looking at the book of Acts, and it is a story of church planting. It is a story of God giving his will for us as believers to gather together in churches and to encourage each other, to build each other up, to use the gifts that we have to serve each other in the community around us and to advance his kingdom. Uh, that's, in short, the plan for church. So why is it a delight to be involved in church? It's because it's, what God's, it's where God is working and what he's doing, where he says where two or three are gathered in my aim, there I am with you in your midst. He's not talking about the fact that he is omnipresent. God is with us always. He's talking about being with us in an important, special way when we come together in church. Is church planting difficult? Is church difficult? The answer is yes, because it's relationships, and relationships are hard. And expectations aren't always met. As we continue the story of, uh, of Paul planting churches now that we've been talking about for a while, who are in the middle of his third missionary journey, and uh, he will be wrapping up this third missionary journey in force in this sermon, in these 16 verses. We're looking at Acts 20, verses 1 through 16. We who have been saved are here with a purpose. And part of that purpose is to be part of the church, to build the church, and to leave the church healthier than we found it. Did you know that was your job as a Christian? Well, as we look at this passage, we're going to see Paul begin to wrap up his ministry uh, of church planting in these regions, in Asia, in uh, Turkey, what is Turkey now, in Greece, and in Macedonia, we're going to see him move through and begin to wrap that ministry up. Uh, let me read the passage, and then we'll pray. We are in Acts 20, verses 1 through 16. Acts 20, verses 1 through 16. As we move there, uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, the, what's been happening in Paul's ministry. He's been on three missionary journeys. It started in 46 A.D., he was saved. He spent three years growing in his faith and building up his faith. And then he was sent out in 46 AD from 49 to do his first missionary journey. And then in 49 to 52, he did his second missionary journey. And now for the last uh, number of years, 53 to 58, he is finishing his third missionary journey. And that's where we are at the end of that story. So Acts 20, verses 1 to 16. Read along with me, if you will. 
After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had encouraged them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus of Secundus, and Secundus of, Thessal of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. Forgive me for uh, botching that a little bit. I practiced that. I can't believe it. If I read it another time, I'd be really good. Now these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and reached them at Troas within five days. And we stayed there for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room and when, where we had gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep, and as Paul kept on talking, Eutychus has over, was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for he is still alive. When Paul had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them for a long while until daybreak and then left. Then took away the boy alive. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. But when we went ahead to the ship and set sail for Assos, uh, intending from there to take Paul on board, for that, for that was what he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, uh, we, we took him on board and we came to Mytilene. Sailing from, there, sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and next day we crossed over to Samos. And on the following day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to lose time in Asia for he was hurrying if it might be possible for him to be in Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in 16 verses, we read a story of uh, churches that are being encouraged, that are being visited, that are grieving a bit the uh, coming absence of Paul. And what now? And Father, for them, they must have wondered, uh, will the church continue to grow? Will it remain? Will it be faithful? What difficulties will we go through? And here we are in the 21st century, wondering the same thing. And we can declare with confidence because the church is yours and that we are the bride of Christ, that you are the one that will establish and continue your church. And you're the one who will bring us home. And you are the one that will um, continue to be faithful even when we aren't. Father, in a season in America when the church is waning, I pray that you would establish and revive your church and that you would bring us back to health so that we can do the work that you called us to and be the voice and the witness that you called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to look at passages and begin a conversation over the next three sermons about wrapping up a season of ministry. 
And today we're going to see that wrapping up ministry should be intentional, it should be relational, and it should be with the expectation that God will continue to work. In the first six verses, we see that uh, Paul is wrapping up his ministry intentionally. Uh, he, we find him now in Ephesus in verse 1. It says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had encouraged them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. So now if you put up the map, if you would, he starts out in Ephesus where he has spent a great deal of time, and he is going to move up to Macedonia up in here. And there are three main churches that he's established there in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea right next to each other, and other churches that we may not know of. But his intention is to go there with the idea that his, he's collecting money to go to Jerusalem, wants to get to Rome and to Spain. That's what, he, that's what he longs for. God has put a burning desire in his heart to do ministry elsewhere. And he goes the opposite direction where he's going to go down to, from, down to Jerusalem. He goes up into Macedonia to complete the work that he was called to. He's planted these churches. He has tried to establish these churches. He's built into these churches, and he's not done yet. So he goes, he leaves Ephesus in the summer of 56 or 57 A.D., and he travels first to Troas. We know he travels to Troas because of 2 Corinthians 2, 12, and 13. And uh, if you want, uh, I'll read that for you. Now, when I came to Troas from, for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord... I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother. But saying goodbye to them, I went on to Macedonia. He went to Troas, and in Troas, put the map back up, right there, uh, the church is being established, and he found open doors for the gospel, but at the same time, he didn't find Titus. Well, we're going to see why that's significant and why his heart is troubled. He is trying to gather together the, the ones he has been training to be pastors, the ones he's been training to lead the church, and he is gathering them together to walk with him for this season through Caesarea and down into Greece with the purpose of continuing to train them. In verse 2 it says, When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months and when a plot formed against him by the Jews as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So there's a lot there. He spends three months in Corinth. How do we know he spends three months in Corinth? Uh, because of the passage um, in Romans 15, 19, and Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 16, 3. And while he's there, he writes the book of Romans. And we learn a lot about what he's thinking in those three months. He longs to get to Rome in Romans 1. And, and he's been praying that he could get there. And his plan is to get there. He thinks he's going to be there in about a year. And while he's in Corinth, he gathers together all that he's learned about the gospel and he gives us the heart of the gospel that could be given to any church in Romans 1 through 16, those chapters. He talks about how we, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteous, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And he expands on that. He talks about the wages of sin being death and the free gift of God, eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. He talks about a peace that is given to us in Christ, that we have peace with God through Christ, Romans 5. He talks about a, a no more condemnation in Romans 8.1. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He lays out the gospel as he knows it 
And as he's working through this in those three months while he's in Corinth, he is continuing to complete this work while he's there. I, I imagine as he's writing, he's preaching. For him, encouraging is preaching. And encouragement is what this is about. We see that in verse 1 and 2. Um, in verse 2 specifically, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement. His goal was to encourage, to build up. My very goal this morning is to encourage you, to encourage you to run the race, to not give up, to know you're here with a purpose. And I can imagine while Paul is writing Romans and he is trying to encourage, when he's preaching, he's on fire. He is so, he just wants them to know that if, if they could be established in God's word in the context of the church, they would flourish. They would live the life they were called to. I have been with Christian brothers and sisters. I, I have been with one particular Christian brother who said, I am going to go to Europe to discover who I am. And he was sorely disappointed after spending a couple of years in Europe as a young man. He didn't discover anything about his calling. It's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. You are Christ's. And in Christ, you are part of God's people and he is calling you to be established. And Paul, being filled with this desire for the churches, this love for them, and this desire to encourage them and writing the book of Romans, he is preaching as if the future of the church depends on it. As if the future of these people depends on it. Uh, we, had, uh, we do uh, devotionals in our staff meeting on Tuesdays. And this last week, Rachel was the one who did the devotional, and she used this passage, Hebrews 3.13. So if you'd put that up on the board. One of the ways this is uh, interpreted is encourage, but exhort or encourage one another every day. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is a pleading in this verse. If you were to study chapter 3, you would see that the author of Hebrews is comparing the church and the Christians to the people of Israel when they are wandering in the desert. And he said, there's a day that's coming, like the day at Kadesh Barnea, that one day when they had to choose whether they were going to trust God and enter into the promised land or they were going to not trust God and they were going to falter. And he's telling them in this passage, encourage one another, spur each other on. This is the kind of encouragement we're talking about. It's not like, attaboy, hang in there, you know, Jesus is coming soon and this will all be over. That's not the encouragement we're talking about. The encouragement we're talking about is you can walk with the living God today. Your life can matter. The, the choices you're making can have eternal implications and build treasures in heaven. You can bring glory to God with your life today. And maybe you're thinking, well, I know I'm just, just surviving let me encourage you, you weren't sent here just to, to survive. You're here to thrive. You're here to live. And I would encourage you with the word of God that don't be caught in the deceitfulness of sin and live a life far beneath what you are called to. Wrapping up ministry intentionally for Paul meant preaching and encouragement. Let's continue in, the, in verse 3. And there he spent three months, and there was a plot that was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. 
he decided to return through Macedonia. In Paul's mind, the plan was that he was going to get on a boat from Corinth and travel across the Aegean Sea and make the quickest route back to Jerusalem. He had pictured that his trip through Macedonia and, and up through the, through the top of that, that map and then down to Corinth, that picture is that he was now going to travel from Corinth across this way to Miletus and then around to Jerusalem. So that's his plan. He's now, it's now the spring and the seas are worthy of travel, but there is some sort of disturbance that we aren't told about. Paul, you know, Luke doesn't tell us what happens here, what this plot is, but Paul is now traveling with money. He's traveling with money that he's going to be delivering to Jerusalem. He's collected funds because the church in Jerusalem is struggling and is, is discouraged and needs funds. So he is collecting funds for the church in Jerusalem throughout all of these churches, and he's carrying those funds. At the same time, there have been, there's been a plot against him in almost every one of these cities that he's been at, and now the plot is heightened to the place where he feels he can't get on this boat. He's got to travel back the other direction. But Paul doesn't say, look at these evil people. They've ruined my life. Paul says, well, God's in charge. I need to go back and encourage the churches again. He doesn't take a vacation he doesn't think this is my chance, I'm done. I, he doesn't take his version of COVID and sit for two and a half years and do nothing. He's on assignment with God. He's not done. So he heads back the same direction, not knowing that's what he was called to. In fact, much earlier, he felt like he was called to Rome, and God said, no, not yet. This is walking with the Spirit. Our plans are made, but God is wrapping up our ministry intentionally as well, and we need to trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us in the way that we wrap up ministry and in the way that we continue our ministry. Well, in verse 4, we see who he's traveling with, some of the people that he's traveling with. He was accompanied by Sopater of Berea and the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. Why is this significant? Why is it significant that he is traveling with these leaders, potential leaders of the church? Paul is investing in the next generation of leaders. Paul is trying to establish the church and make sure that he's pouring into these leaders. So as he's moving from town to town through Macedonia, these guys are traveling with him. As he's preaching, maybe they get turns to preach, but right now they're probably just excited about hearing Romans preach. That's what I imagine. I imagine this is filling his heart. I can't wait to get you to the end of chapter 8. I tell you, God's loving intention for you that nothing could separate you from his love. Look around all the things that would cause your life to be less and God is saying, no, no, no. You are loved. Oh, I would like to have heard Paul preach it. And he has these guys that he's taking with him in the scriptures pointed out because he wants us to know that to establish a ministry is to invest in the next generation and equip the next generation and equip those who would join you in ministry. That's why we have a preaching team at our church. 
The idea is that more preachers would be raised up and we would be the kind of church that understands that Todd will not be preaching here forever. Praise God that there is a generation-to-generation handoff and, and the church needs to be established in a way that it continues to grow. And it is our deep desire at the bridge that the bridge continues for decades and decades and centuries if possible. To God's glory and for the benefit of people who are being raised up, understanding the gospel. Paul was traveling with seven next-generation leaders He couldn't find Titus and Troas, and he was disturbed by it because he wanted Titus to hear it. He wanted Titus to experience it. Titus would go on to be pastor in Crete. They sail from Corinth to Troas, and the we passages begin again in verses 5 and 6. If you see in verse 5 and 6, now these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. We sailed from Philippi, after the days of unleavened bread and reached the metro as within five days and we stayed there for seven days. So we put the map back up again. We're going to keep coming to this map today because we're moving a lot. They're in Philippi. And what are the significance of the pronoun we, the, the first person plural here? It's that Luke, the author of Acts, is now with the group again. The last time the we passages were here were in chapter 16 in Philippi. So Maybe Luke has stayed there in Philippi from the second missionary journey through the beginning of the third missionary journey, and now he's rejoining. That might be assumed by the fact in verse 5 and 6, he's now talking about we. It also gives it a very personal touch. He's watching it happen. And notice in this next moment in Troas, it gets very specific and very personal. He's not hearing it secondhand. He's seeing it. Luke is. So they travel from Philippi to Troas and uh, they get on a boat and, and travel that distance. And there in Troas, God continues to work. These open doors continue to be obvious. They sail from Philippi over the days of unleavened bread and reach them at Troas within five days and we stayed there for seven days. So they stayed in Troas for seven days. There is this short window where Paul and these leaders of the church, these young leaders of the church, are gathered at Troas, meeting together with the Christians, and in those seven days, their goal is to continue to establish them and make sure they remain, make sure they fight, make sure they walk with God, make sure they don't give up, make sure they understand their calling in Christ. Well, wrapping up ministry intentionally is what Paul's doing. Let me see, show you now that he's wrapping up ministry relationally in verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. First, I want you to see that they're already meeting on Sunday. There's already the, the parts of a church where they're breaking bread together the first day of the week. So breaking bread there is taking communion. We're going to be doing that in a minute. And they are remembering the Lord's death and resurrection regularly together. And there is preaching going on. And there's a lot to be said for the preaching in this sermon. Um, And I could draw attention to the fact that any of you that have complained about the length of my sermons 
might consider this, as maybe this is my model for future sermons to keep you here till midnight. Um, but you could also say that Eutychus might be a model for what you might respond if I try that. <laughs> but I would actually point out that that's not the point at all. The point is, is that Paul is, even though he needs to travel, even though he needs to uh, get to Jerusalem and he has a purpose to get to Rome and to Spain, he doesn't want to end. He has more to say. He wants to make sure he loves them. It's personal. He could have said, that's enough. I've, you know, I'm tired. What about me? He doesn't want to end because, and they don't want to leave. In verse 8, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were gathered together. This isn't a huge church. It's a gathering of believers that are in this upper room, and I, there's not many buildings at the time that have three floors, but this building has at least three floors. And they have a room that they can gather in, but they can only barely fit because they're, they're so pieced in together that Eutychus is sitting in the windowsill. They're anxious to hear. And more than likely, Eutychus is working with his hands all day long, and he's exhausted. Now, I just, coming from Africa, I've already told you that people travel two hours by foot to get to church. We don't know what it is to struggle to get to church. These people long to be a church and long to hear what God has to say and they don't want to miss a moment. I pray that we get on fire for God and his word. I pray that we can't get enough. I pray that we are not asking, what's the least we have to do, God, for you so that you're not ticked at us? I pray that we're asking, God, what else can I do? Use me. Here I am. Send me. Wrapping up ministry relationally. This gathering was family. They're in the upstairs room. They've been breaking bread together. They've taken communion together. They're, they've got the lamps lit, and it's not like lamps with switches, right? These are lamps. The oil lamps are lit. Fire hazard kind of thing. As all these people are packed in. And there was a young man in verse 9 named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And Paul kept on talking. There's plenty of jokes there to be had. <laughs> Eutychus was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. Eutychus goes into a deep sleep. I, I have, uh, have you ever started to fall asleep and you like, shake like that? You feel like something's shifting or you're starting to fall? This is a guy that has fallen fast asleep deep sleep, and when he begins to fall, he doesn't recover. And he falls to three floors to his death. That's what it says. He says, Eutychus, overcome by sleep, fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. In verse 10, Paul went down and fell upon him after embracing him. He said, do not be troubled, for he is alive. Verse 10 is this miraculous moment where Let's begin with Paul's personal response. Paul doesn't stand up at a distance and say, well, that was dumb to sit there. Well, I'm tired too. I'm still preaching. Paul runs down. I'm sure Paul's exhausted. He runs down and 
fell on him and embraced him. This is personal. He loves him. He wants him to be okay. And then God gives what is only mentioned in the Old Testament with Elijah and Elisha, with Jesus, with Lazarus, these moments when God raises somebody from the dead, these momentous moments where God is saying, this is my signature on what is being said and done here. I want you to know that hundreds of millions, if not billions, I don't want to exaggerate, of Christians have died and have not come back to life. It doesn't mean it wasn't personal for us. It's personal. Why does God bring Eutychus back to life? This is a time when they did not have the New Testament. It was being written. Romans was just written. And Paul is preaching the gospel as he knows it. The way he's come to understand it and the way that he brings it is his heart is full and his sermon goes long and and God is putting his imprint, this is my church. This is what I'm doing. I'm establishing this church. And he raises Eutychus from the dead as if he's speaking from heaven saying, this is what I will continue to build and this is what I'll continue to do. Now, if you're like me, you've prayed for someone to either stay in this life longer and be healed, and sometimes God allows it. And maybe you've prayed with me that someone would be brought back. And I've never seen it. But at this juncture, we look back at this passage, and from a church perspective that is coming out of COVID, we need to remember what is God imprinting here, saying, this is what I am supporting, this is what I am equipping, this is who I'm encouraging, this is what I want you to know. It wasn't by, God wasn't falling asleep at the wheel when Eutychus fell asleep and fell. God allowed it so that he could put on display his power and his provision, and this is relational for him. It's personal for him. You're personal to God. He wants you established. He wants you to grow. He wants you to live. He doesn't want you just to survive. Verse 11, when Paul had gone back, and had broken bread and eaten, he talked with them a long time while until, uh, a long while until daybreak, and then left. Verse 11 might be that Paul didn't learn his lesson. <laughs> Preach until someone falls asleep and dies. But again, that's not it. The point is, is that Paul is leaving in the morning, and instead of getting sleep, he spends the whole night encouraging the brothers and sisters. They get to go home They can sleep sooner. Paul is going to leave and chooses to leave walking, which is kind of fascinating to me. In verse 12, they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Comfort is part of our encouragement. God intends to comfort us. And they took the boy alive and took the preaching and they saw what God was doing, and they were comforted. Be comforted, brothers and sisters. 
God loves you with an everlasting love and he is encouraging you, protecting you. And Wrapping up your ministry intentionally, and Paul is wrapping up his ministry relationally. Now we see he's wrapping up his ministry expectantly in the last few verses. Verses 13, but we went ahead to the ship and set sail for Essos, attending from there to take Paul on board, for that was what he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. So if you want to put that up on the map again, it is 43 miles to walk from Troas to Assos, which is right there on the bottom. And he is he's walking around that. Uh, he, he walks through the hills. It's not like walking on roads for us. It's trails, and I'm sure there's some roads, but it's tough walking. And he's got 43 miles to go. So, you know, I don't know if he could get 10 or 12 miles a day. I'm not sure. But from there, they travel, they get on a boat together. And it's fascinating that he does that walk because he could have gotten on the boat. Everybody else is on the boat and then goes to Essos and waits for him. Why does he do that? And I picture in my mind, we don't have a description of it, but I think he's getting away with Christ. I remember back to school retreats when I would give a, a talk and I'd watch God move and just as he only can in youth where all of the youth seem to be responding to God's word and there's an excitement and there's a joy and it's so fun to see God working as I'm teaching around a campfire. And as I get to the end of it, I have this deep desire to go away with God. I can't believe you just did that. I can't believe you're still working in us. I can't believe you still love us. I think Paul's heart is filled as he leaves this work that God's doing in Troas. And maybe he would want to stay, but he's not supposed to stay there. He's supposed to go on. But he spends 43 miles of walking, I think, with his Savior. It's my assumption. From there, they get on the boat together and they do a series of one-day trips. And in the spring, in, this, in the Aegean Sea, which is that, in the spring, the wind is going this way. So they're on a sailboat trying to move this direction, which slows everything down. So it's a day trip from Asos uh, to Mytilene, which is right there. And then they come through here, traveling by Chios for a day, and then they move to Samos right here. And then there's an interesting thing that happens while they're at Samos. They could go into this port, in Ephesus, where Paul had spent three years in ministry and established the church, loves this church. Just read the book of Ephesians to see his heart for this church, this desire for them to be unified and to be established. And he would long to be with them, but he decides to not go to Ephesus. In verse 15, sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to lose time in Asia. For he was hurrying, if it might be possible, for him to be in Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was May 29th in the year 57 A.D. He wanted to sail and get to Jerusalem. There was something that God had put in his heart to do next. 
When we talk about ministry ending, for Paul, it did not, as long as there was breath in his lungs, it was never wrapping up ministry and now I'm not going to minister anymore. It was wrapping up ministry with the idea that there was something else for him to do. There was another reason he's here. And for him, there was a push and a pull. The push was, the church has been established. My work is done here. There are people I've entrusted to carry the work, and now I'm handing it off to them. And as he goes by Ephesus, this church that he loves, he wants to get to Jerusalem and then to Rome and then to Spain. His job isn't done yet. Now, that's, I imagine none of us have a similar call. But I imagine that every one of us who is a Christian has a call something that God intends for you to be doing. Establishing his kingdom, building into the church. I was asked recently about tithe. Does my tithe need to be given to the church? And my response was, in short, it was a longer conversation, in short was, there isn't legalism in the church. You don't It's not like 10% and then I've I've done with God's law necessarily. But I want you to know that the context of giving to God has always been in the context of giving to God's people, whether it was Israel or the church. Because this is the work and the people that God is building. And we should be investing in the church. That doesn't mean we don't invest in other things. I'm just about to start a not-for-profit that is church building in another place, but it's the not-for-profit isn't a church by itself. But it has been my delight for my whole life, my whole Christian life, to be involved in church. Because church isn't a name on a, on a building. Church is people. It's the people of God. It's investing in the people of God. That's like saying family, the Berge family, is 653 Kingsbury Court. It's not. It's people. And my job is to invest in those people. It's the same way that your job is to invest in each other. Wrapping up ministry expectantly, Paul was expectantly looking for what God was going to do next. So much so that he left, he went by the people that he loved. We'll hear next, we'll hear coming up in the sermon series about how he addresses what's going on in Ephesus. But he doesn't stop there and take a week like he did in in Troas. I'm pointing at myself. He doesn't go here into Ephesus. Did that break his heart? Uh, He was expectantly looking for what God was doing. And he went on to Miletus where he was not going to be have to stay the same length of time. He could have stopped at every one of these ports. He didn't stop. Probably didn't get off the boat. He is going to get to Jerusalem by as long as the Lord wills. Actually, see the open-handedness of this because Paul's ministry is following the Spirit and it isn't perfect. Like He doesn't have this map exactly what's going to happen. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to lose time in Asia for he was hurrying if it might be possible for him to be in Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. What does that mean? It means that God put in Paul's gut what next. 
And now he's saying, well, I don't have it perfect what it's going to look like. And it, I, what I originally thought was I was going to leave Corinth and come straight across, and this was going to be an easy trip back to Jerusalem, and I was going to make it in plenty of time. And God said no. Because walking with God means you have to alter and change. And Walking with God has been set up in such a way that you can't plan out your next 10 steps and not cling to God. You need God every day. You can't say, I got my message from God. I will check back in when I get to Spain. Leading in the church so far with this church has been this wonderful responsibility and exciting trip of discovering what God's doing. And it has turned out so different than I imagined. And I had a chance to get together with other church planters, young church planters who were thinking about planting a church at Trinity. And as I talked to them, I told them, I'll tell my story, and you could put a title over the story, What God Did, but your story won't be the same. He opened up the schools for us. If we planted another church, would he open up the schools again? I have no idea. I know God's building his church. And I have no idea what's about to come. I know God's building his church. And I want to be part of it. And it is a privilege to be a part of it with you. The year is 58 AD. Paul has been a Christian for a few decades. Paul has spent most of his time out ministering and planting churches on a mission to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And when he couldn't get there or he was imprisoned, he wrote letters. How thankful am I that Paul wrote the letter to the Romans in Corinth because God blocked him from getting to Rome so that 21st century we have the book of Romans. And he didn't deliver it verbally. But the truth is, Paul's intention to go on to Rome and then to Spain, you know, he would come against imprisonment and difficulties that he couldn't imagine, that he didn't see. And eventually, under Nero in the mid-60s, he would be put to death, early to mid-60s. He would be martyred. And 2 Timothy, last letter we have. And right up until the end, he's telling Timothy, take what I've entrusted to you and entrust it to others. 2 Timothy 2.2. This is our job. Did you know, Christian brother and sister, you are here on assignment. And we are here together. And what a privilege to be your pastor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for the people of God and the Holy Spirit who fills us and gives us gifts and 
gives us the fruit of the Spirit and how we can live out our Christian lives in community. I confess that we botch that quite a bit. It's not only challenges from without, but there are challenges from within. And some are tempted to give up. But our hope in the church is not in us. Our hope in the church is in you. And that we are the bride of Christ. And Father, I pray that you would prepare us and that you would allow us to invest in the next generation and encourage and equip them as well. And may Jesus get all of the glory and it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.